Well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for being here. You all look great. You look lovely. Anybody excited to be in church? Okay, I'm really excited today for two reasons. At the end of the message, I'm going to share some new, exciting, good news about New Life Manitou and a, uh, maybe I'll give a little away now, an age group that we are continuing ministry because our purpose is to uh, call people to discipleship by worshiping, connecting, and serving. And so some big news at the end of the service. And today I'm really excited to preach on a topic that I have personally never, ever preached a whole sermon on. It's a sermon that I've uh, been excited to, 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 to preach. It's a sermon that its subject is something I hope for and think about as well as I know many of you do as well. It's a subject that some of you are probably wondering, um, you're, you're curious about it. Some of you might, if you're honest, be like a little skeptical when I say the topic and what it is I'm speaking about. You might be like, I'm a little skeptical. Like, what is that really? What is that exactly? Some of you are curious about it, but I believe that my bias, let me just start off with my bias in this topic, is that this is the most exciting thing that can happen in the life of a church. And so my sermon title will give away the topic. The sermon title is this, uh, Lord, bring revival. So we're going to talk about revival today. And the sermon title is a prayer, Lord, bring revival. So I'm going to define what revival is. I'm going to talk about the theological marks of what revival is all about. Um, I'm going to hopefully give you a reason as to why I'm excited about revival. I've said that revival is the most exciting thing that can happen in church. And so I'll give you reasons as to why I think that and what our response should be, like us individually and us as New Life Manitou, what our response should be to revival. So let's do a little uh, hand raising. Are you guys okay with hand? Like I'm gonna ask a question, raise your hand. So raise your hand if you've never heard a sermon on revival. You're a little curious. Like what, what is revival anyways? Okay, raise your hand if you would say, I know what revival is and I'm excited about it and I pray for it all the time. Okay, raise your hand if you would say it's something you're, you're um, seeking, something you pray for for our nation all the time. Good, okay, that was very unhelpful because I think uh, some of you raised your hand for all the questions. Um, <laughs> I only rebuke you because I love you. But I think enough of you, you know, the first question was uh, curious. How many of you are curious and interested in like, what is revival? A lot of you raised your hand. And so I'm gonna take this sermon from like ground zero and first try to describe what revival is and we'll first get into scripture, then we'll define what revival is. So uh, turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. If you, if you have a paper Bible and you open right in the middle, it'll probably be in the Psalms. Keep flipping until you get to the book of Isaiah chapter 41. And I'll preface this passage by saying that this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah 41, is one of those passages that was very special, is still very special to New Life Manitou, because when we launched uh, five-something years ago, that this passage was a passage kind of 
exciting to us and it carries with it still to this day a lot of hope for what the Lord is going to do in Manitou and New Life Manitou. And I read this passage and I just see revival. And I read this passage and I just see Manitou Springs. It talks about springs and creeks and high plateaus and a dry land and what the Lord is going to do metaphorically. He's going to bring his water to those who are thirsty. So Isaiah 41, how many of you are there in a paper Bible? Give them a thumbs up if they're actually using a paper Bible. You could be on your phone as well, and we will put it on the screens as well. Isaiah 41, verse 17. I haven't said the verse yet. So verse 17 of Isaiah 41, a very special passage. If you've been around New Life Manitou, you've probably heard us read this before or pray it or talk about it. When the poor and needy, it says in verse 17, When the poor and needy search for water and there is none. So you get that picture of someone searching for water, there's none. Their tongues are parched from thirst. Then I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will never abandon them. Here's what he will do, verse 18. I will open up rivers for them on the high plateaus. I will give them fountains of water in the valley. I will fill the desert with pools of water and rivers fed by springs. Manitou Springs, you know, this image is very, um, very, gosh, it's just very prophetic for us. Rivers fed by springs will flow across the parched ground and I, the Lord speaking, I will plant trees in the barren desert. And he lists these trees that are huge, cedar, acacia, myrtle, olive, cypress, fir, and pine. And I'm doing this. So why, why is the Lord doing this? Why is he taking care of people who are thirsty? Well, it says in verse 20, I'm doing this so that all who see this miracle will understand what it means, that it is the Lord who has done this, the Holy One of Israel who has created it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we pray to you and we know that you are in our midst as we talk about revival Lord, we pray for this. Lord, we ask you for it. We ask for the, the exciting thing when people come to know you, when your spirit is poured out on a church, on a city, on a place, on a county, in a nation. Lord, when, when people's hearts are turned to you, when there's poor and needy thirsting for you, and Lord, you come in and you give your spiritual water for all those that are thirsting. Lord, this is a holy, wonderful thing, and we praise your name for it. We love you, Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, define revival, first of all, shall we? There's a, it's always good etymology to break down a word, right? So, uh, revival, re and vive. Vive means what? Do you know? To live, yeah, to life. It means to live. So to revive means to to live again, to come back to life. And so if you literally revive someone, you're bringing them back from sickness. You're bringing them back. You know, maybe even they flatlined in the hospital or something and they're like with an AED shocked back to life. You've revived someone. And in a spiritual sense, this is a helpful metaphor because we would say that dead things, dead people even, metaphorically speaking, are brought to life. This is what happens in revival. I mean, this is the whole gospel message that that those who are dead spiritually come to life, a full life in God. So a quick definition will be revival is just people coming alive to God. I'll I'll say that again in a couple minutes. But there's kind of two camps if you're familiar with the term revival. So how many of you would say you're familiar, you've heard people talk about revival? Okay, a bunch of you, great. So there's probably two camps 
of Christians who talk about revival. And in this one camp, when, when this group mentions revival, what they mean is evangelistic, fervent uh, gospel presentation, altar calls, maybe even tent revivals. Everybody, any, anybody ever been to a tent revival? I see all those hands. That would be this group of people, this camp of people. When they say revival, they're talking about events where the gospel is presented. And it's really based on like, you know, some of the, in, in the United States, at least, when the Western movement, the second great awakening, people would go to the West and bring a tent and set it up and people would come from all around because there was something to do. And the gospel would be presented. People like Charles Finney led these movements of tent revivals. Uh, in our lifetime, my lifetime, at least, Billy Graham would be one of the great revivalists of my lifetime. He would ho- conduct these revivals They would be huge stadiums full of people. And he would say, if you want to know Jesus, you come. You come now down to the the, the floor of the stadium. And I've been to revivals like this and watched with my own eyes hundreds of people come down at these revivals and give their lives to the Lord. Anybody ever seen that? Ever been, like seen that with your own eyes? It's amazing. It's beautiful. And so that's what this camp means when they say revival. So uh, like in the South, this is a very popular definition of revival. You'll see, you'll be driving past a church and you'll see like on their marquee, they'll say revival, August 21st through the 28th. And my definition of revival is a little different. So I'm like, well, how do they know that revival is going to be there? And, and what's wrong with August 29th? Like, why does it need to stop? Well, why would it be these dates? But in their definition, in that camp, well, what they're probably doing is uh, nightly meetings where the gospel is being presented. So that's that definition. In the other camp, and it's honestly the camp that I'm more familiar with, uh, is more of a Pentecostal charismatic definition of revival, which is the spirit outpouring. So the first one is an evangelistic kind of event. Uh, the second one is more of, you know, you, you can't put dates on it. It's, it's like you talk about the spirit moving and you talk about people responding to the spirit, the miraculous begins to happen. Things like healings, things like miraculous signs, things like prophetic, things like uh, words of knowledge are being poured out and people even on the outside of church are like, yeah, what's going on? This church is experiencing something that the spirit is doing. And so both definitions, they're good. They're just different camps and there's a lot of overlap. But I would say this, I already said it before. If you're taking notes, I would say a quick, and it's, it's got strength because it's just a short definition, but of course it has weaknesses because it really doesn't do a lot of explaining beyond these few words. But I would define revival as revival is people coming alive to God. A very simple definition. People coming, like a movement, like, like a whole bunch of people, like something is different about this church. Something is different about this town. People have become alive to God. And, and during this week, as I've been preparing for this sermon, I've been talking with people that I know love revival. I know I respect what they think. Uh, one of the people I, I've been talking to, I've been texting with John Egan, worship leader at New Life North, uh, the, one of the founding members of the Desperation Band. He loves revival. When I think of revival, I really respect some of the things over the course of, gosh, he's been at New Life, what, 20 years or so? Um, he's, he's said, and he's brought things to New Life that, that, that bring revival. And he said this, so this is a, a quote, John Egan. Uh, he says, revival is really an awareness 
of God's reign so deep that it transforms our life where Jesus is worshiped above all things, dead lives revived to life. It's a beautiful definition of like what revival is. Another friend of mine, uh, Aaron Stern, he, I got to work under his leadership, uh, and I'll tell a story uh, in a little while in this sermon about the college and 20-somethings ministry that I worked at at New Life Church for years and years. It was called The Mill. Anybody remember The Mill? Okay, I, remember, I see that some of you are too young, some of you are too old to be a part of it, but it was the young adults ministry um, about 20 years ago at New Life, and I got to work there, and I'm going to tell a story, and I'm going to say that, I, that what that was was revival. If that's not revival, then I don't know what is. And, and the, the person leading that movement, Aaron Stern, I've been texting with him this week, and he gave this definition. He said, is a revival is a hunger for Jesus that results in repentance, salvation, and mission. Like repentance, people are repenting and coming to the Lord and there's salvation. And it's not just high-fiving each other because we're in church. It's going out and being a part of a mission and being, you know, going to the ends of the earth. And so that's what he defined as, as revival. And I love that definition. So I've given you now a couple definitions of revival. Everybody good? Okay, we have definition of revival, but I think some of you that raised your hand and say, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm still curious about what revival is, would say, well, well, what does it look like? You know, can you use revival in a sentence? Sure, you defined it, but really, what does it look like? And for that, I'm going to quote uh, a guy who's uh, a pastor in New York City. Many of you have probably heard the name Tim Keller before. He's written lots of books. He's written a book on church, and he has a chapter about revival. And this quote is really, okay, what does revival look like? We've defined it uh, kind of broadly and then specifically with the two quotes from John Egan and Aaron Stern. But here is a quote on what revival looks like. So he says, when revival happens, three things happen. Sleepy Christians wake up. Nominal Christians get converted. Now, I'll have to explain that because it's like, well, how could a Christian get converted? What's that mean? I'll explain. Sleepy Christians wake up. Nominal Christians get converted. And hard to reach non-Christians, like people that say, I don't want anything to do with God. People that would say, I'm an atheist and I have my, and they're like opposed to God. These people get dramatically brought to faith. So that's like an example of this. These things happen when we would say, this is revival. Sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get converted and hard to reach uh, non-Christians actually come to faith in dramatic ways. So let's go through and talk about each one of these things. Sleepy Christians. Anybody sleepy in here? <laughs> if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I'm, a little, I'm literally sleepy. But what I'm talking about is like metaphorically sleepy to the things of God. Like, like maybe I'm just preaching to myself right now, and I am. Like I would point, my, point fingers at myself and say that oftentimes I'm busy, I'm distracted, I'm sleepy to what God is doing right here, right now. Would anybody else say, you know, like, yeah, if I'm honest, like, that's where I sometimes find myself. I think of, uh, if anybody's a teenager in here, no, no offense, but I think of like a teenager on their phone with headphones on, like on a road trip, and you're going by the Grand Canyon, and the family car stops, and you're like, get out. Look at the Grand Canyon. And they're just like playing Sugar Crush. And, God, and you're like, wake up. 
We're at the Grand Canyon. Just take one look. Get your phone out of your face. Just look at it. And someone's saying, amen. Like, just look at it. And, and no offense to any teenagers in here, or, or, but, I, but metaphorically, aren't like if you're honest, like sometimes in our lives, we're sleepy. We're distracted to what God is actually doing. And we would say in revival, like there's an awakening, like, wow, God has already been at work and he keeps moving and he has been working. And now we're woken up to it. Here's one more analogy, like a father and son. I have four boys. And so I could picture this and and maybe even get emotional about just thinking like a father and a son, you know, like a little tiny five-year-old boy uh, walking hand in hand with his father down like Manitou Ave and their father and son. Can they be any more or less father and son? It's like, no, it's just what they are. That's the definition, a father and a son. And they're walking along and everyone knows, and they know, like the son knows that's my dad. And the son knows he loves me. And then like the father picks up this son in love and holds him and looks into into his eyes and says, I love you, son. And they hug and the son just nestles into his father's neck. Now, literally by definition, are they any more or less father and son in that moment? Well, no, I mean, technically they're just as much father and son in that moment, but the son knows it and feels it and experiences it. And so in this metaphor, sleepy Christians wake up in revival. It's like, wow, now we know. God has already been here. We feel it. We know it. And this is exciting stuff. Amen? So number one, what happens? What does revival look like? Tim Keller, I'm I'm borrowing, uh, honestly, I'm borrowing his sermon. Go to YouTube and and, uh, watch it. And you'll be like, Joe stole all this stuff. It's like, you're correct. I did. Um, (laughs) So sleepy Christians wake up nominal Christians get converted. And this is interesting because it's like, um, I'll I'll give you some examples of what this looks like, but, but people who would say they're Christians, they come to church, they are baptized, maybe they're serving on some committee, maybe they're an usher for church. They're just, they would, you know, be a, they would say, I'm a Christian. I'm a part of church. I go every Sunday. These people get converted. And you're like, well, aren't they already Christians? And, and, and I'm going to share, like, let me share with you my story. Because uh, as a kid, my parents, I'm very grateful. My parents, every Sunday, brought me to church, very traditional church. I went to church every Sunday. We would do Sunday school. Then we would go to church. So we were in church for quite a long time. Every Sunday. In fact, my mom, maybe you'll correct me, but I think it was eight years of perfect attendance. So through the school year, uh, I went to church, Sunday school, got, they checked the attendance with like paper and I had perfect attendance one year and high five everybody. Wow, so cool. The next year, perfect attendance again. And my mom will correct me, but I think it was eight years in a row of perfect attendance. I went to church every Sunday, didn't miss like during the Sunday school year. I went to a couple retreats. I was just there. I would say like at the time, if you asked little Joe, Kirkendall, hey, why are you, you know, what do you, what do you believe? I'd say, oh, I'm a Christian. Why? Because I go to church. Like I would just, that's what I would say. But then something, this blew me out of the water when I was in high school, started going by choice uh, to a youth group. And I was awoken to a relationship with Jesus. People were talking about how they loved God and they wanted to serve him. And my mind was blown. I was like, wow, like I would say, looking back, that I don't even know that I really believed as a kid. 
It's like, do you get this? Like, like maybe some of you have experienced it as well. Like you, 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 know, you thought you believed and then you get to a place where there's like a whole new level of belief where you're now like looking back wondering, well, gosh, maybe I actually never actually believed. I don't know. That's what I would say about my own story. And in revival, what that looks like is regular people that have been coming to church forever, that have the t-shirts, that are ushers, that are on committees and boards, they would become so enthralled with Jesus that they would then look back and say, I actually don't even know that I was really believing. Does that make sense to anybody? Does that make sense to anybody's story? And, and there's, a, there's a bunch of these examples in history. Um, and we have a little bit of time, so I'll talk quickly about John Wesley's story. Does anybody know who John Wesley is? Founder of Methodism, uh, hero in the faith. I, I, uh, I've read through his journals. Uh, it's a wonderful devotional um, piece of work where he, he you know, kind of goes through his own story and writes day to day about what's going on. He was one of the founders of the first great awakening. Like I remember as a, like a high school student at a secular school learning about revival in our country. The, the first great awakening actually was before our country was a country. It was just colonies. And John Wesley, his father was a, a priest, a pastor, an Anglican pastor. He grew up in England, uh, had a great Christian family, decided he was going to be a pastor, went to seminary. If that wasn't enough, he developed a little club. Does anybody remember the name of this club? It's called the Holy Club. Like, like they're not just going to seminary, but him and his little buddies, we're a part of the Holy Club. We're going to memorize scripture. We're going to fast together. We're going to keep each other accountable. And they had this little club and they're going for it. And the, he became a pastor, an Anglican pastor and a missionary. He's on his way to the, the new world, the colonies. Uh, he's outside of Georgia somewhere on a boat headed to be a missionary to Native Americans. This is John Wesley's story. And he's on this boat and there's a huge storm and he's scared for his life and his faith is crumbling and he's, he's deathly afraid and he sees on this boat. Do you know the story? It's a pretty famous story. He sees on this boat a group of Christians, they're called Moravians and they are praying and they are calm and they are full of faith and he's like, I was a part of a holy club. You know, but... Who am I? Like, I'm afraid. Like, what are these Christians doing over here? They're full of faith and they're not afraid. And he, he thought, I don't have faith like that. And so he began a quest to find faith like that. He goes back to England. He writes about this in his journals. And he says that all at once, he was at a church service in the evening. He says, all at once, my heart was strangely warmed. Have you heard that phrase before? It's a John Wesley phrase where he, he says like, I now know that Jesus has forgiven me of my sins and I've laid myself upon him and I really have faith. And he would say about his own faith journey that maybe he didn't even believe back then, but he does now. And I'm like, what? Like pulling out my hair, like you were the holy club. You, were, you had the Greek New Testament chunks memorized. You were a pastor. You were a missionary. You had all this stuff. And you're looking back at that saying, maybe I didn't even believe. Yes, that, that's what John Wesley would say. And if you're like, wow, that's, that's, I, I hope that this is actually good news because no matter where you're at in your faith, here's the good news. Maybe there's a whole nother level and maybe there's like a whole nother level for our church. And if we want to use this term revival, 
well then let's use it. It's a great term. It's the most exciting thing that can happen in a life or in the life of a church to get to a whole nother level thinking that maybe where you're at is like you've tapped out with you and your relationship with God. Well, maybe there's a whole bunch more. If you can agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Amen. So in revival, Tim Keller says what it looks like. Sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians get converted, and finally hard to reach or adamant non-Christians come to faith in radical ways. And this is like, I, I see this happening, um, you know, throughout the, the, the Bible, but it's, it's clearly represented in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul says, you know, a non-believer will come to one of your meetings and they'll feel conviction. And then they'll fall down and they'll say, wow, God really is in this place. And this is what happens in revival. Maybe because the sleepy Christians and nominal Christians are so woken up that that's all they're talking about. And they're so excited and people are coming in and they're inviting more and more of their friends and people are coming in just because they know something is going on in the church. And so non-Christians come in. So let me conclude with the the story of... um, Actually, I have two more stories. The first one is uh, of the college and 20-somethings at New Life Church when I was, first went there in 2000. It was called The Mill, and some of you raised your hands so you remember The Mill at New Life Church. And it, it became, by the way, it didn't just end, it became New Life Friday Night. So that was kind of the birth of this other congregation of New Life. It was a really cool baton passing to a, a, a congregation of our church. Uh, and we, do all, we also have a college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life now as well. It's Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday, sorry, uh, Tuesday nights, and so it didn't go away. Um, but anyways, when it was called the mill, back in my day, when I was a young whippersnapper, I went, and I was, it was like 30 kids, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. This, the, the worship is powerful. I mean, I just remember thinking, like, the Lord is here, and people are really serious about getting to know God. And after the service, it was on a Friday night, uh, 7 to 9 p.m., people were so excited to, like, keep praying that we would walk over and go to the World Prayer Center up at New Life North and pray some more. And then it's like, well, we don't want to go home. And we're, we were, you know, young. We could stay up all night. It's like, let's go to Village Inn and have, you know, dinner at midnight because we can. And it was the community and prayer and just like, it was people really going after the Lord. These 30 people quickly became 60 people. 60 quickly became 120 and we outgrew the room we were meeting in. This is the same time that New Life Church built the tent. Anybody remember when the tent was constructed? at the back of New Life North and we moved to there and we quickly outgrew that. And so here's all these college and 20-somethings moving now into the theater up at New Life North and in its heyday, there was over a thousand young adults meeting at New Life North on a Friday night. And, it, and it, the service was, it was, man, the worship was powerful. Sleepy Christians would come in and be like, wow, I've never seen a church like this. Nominal Christians who had been going to church their whole life would be like, wow, this is so wonderful. I'm like rededicating my life in such a way that I don't even know that I was saved before. And the call to mission, like we'd have these altar calls, we'd have baptism nights where like through the course of ministry, Maybe hundreds, if not a thousand people were baptized over the course of the Mills ministry. It was incredible. It was, if that's not revival, 
I don't know what is. And there was this call to mission that we would go on mission trips. Many of us, including myself, went with literally like a hundred other people to China, to Africa. It was incredible. We, would have, we had this one altar call moment on a Friday night one time where announcements were made to bring shoes to uh, to, to the mill and we were going to take the shoes and give them to an organization and disperse the shoes to people in the world. They were going to be shipped to people in the world that didn't have shoes. And the altar call was made saying, you all in here have shoes, I assume. You're wearing shoes. And you probably have shoes at home. But how many of you would be willing to give your shoes that you're wearing now and go home in your socks for missions? And my goodness, everyone, it was like a thousand people came up and put their shoes on the altar. It was incredible, like the heart behind it, the mission behind it. Like if that's not revival, I don't know what is revival. And, and to conclude this story, I think of the non-believers coming in because lots of people heard about the mill and were just so curious. What is that? Like me and my buddy, people would say, me and my buddies, we were going to go out drinking and clubbing on a Friday night, but instead, you know, something brought us to the mill. And maybe, you know, if we were honest, like why those guys came was because they heard that there was like five or 600 girls there. And so they're like, oh, well, <laughs> don't mind if I do, I'll show up. But they would come in for whatever reason, they would come in and they would be blown away by the worship and the presence of the Lord. And again and again and again, we would see people dramatically, people adamantly opposed to God and his ways and Jesus. We'd see them come in and we'd see them give their lives to Jesus. It was beautiful. It was revival by any definition of that term. And I got to see it from the inside. Like this isn't something I visited. Like I got to see, and as a staff, we would sit back and be like, thank you, Lord. What is going on this is awesome. This is holy. This is beautiful. The final story I'll share is of a, many people would say it's the last revival that our nation has seen. And it's the, the revival called the Jesus movement or the Jesus people. Anybody uh, remember, anybody old enough to, I missed it by a few years. Uh, I was born in 78. But in the 70s, there was this Jesus movement of the hippies, Tons of hippies coming to follow Jesus. Look it up. It's, it's a wonderful thing to research where these people who didn't really fit the mold of church started coming to church and giving their lives to Jesus. And, and a, a guy in here, his name's Joe Scudlark. There he is in the Hawaiian church. Would you give a quick wave? He shared his testimony at our Man of Two Men's ministry uh, the week before last on a Thursday. And he shared his story. He said he was impacted by the Jesus movement. He said that growing up, he was a kid that was, he would say he was uh, a little troubled, we say troubled youth. <laughs> he would go, he, he told the story and I asked him a permission to tell the story, but he and his buddies would go into a sporting goods store uh, as they were closing and the lights would go off and they would lock the building and he would, they would hide in there and then they would come out and they would break into the crash register, steal stuff, don't get any ideas. They would steal guns. That's a class three felony. And uh, he was just on, you know, I think about like being on that path is not a good path. But he went to a group that was influenced by the Jesus movement, a bunch of hippies leading a, a Bible study. And he went, he was invited in and went to that 
found Jesus, and then him and his buddies, guess what they did? They went to the cops and said, we're turning ourselves in. We were the ones breaking in. They did it a couple times, and we're gonna come up with a plan to repay you back all the stuff they stole. It's like, that's revival. That's like the, the non-believers, the adamant non-believers coming into the church and getting saved in a radical way. So here's where I wanna close this sermon and saying that uh, I think when I opened up and said today that we're going to talk about revival, some of you were probably like, I'm a little skeptical of revival. And, and honestly, I think I've found myself at times, honestly, a little skeptical of revival because I've seen it as people just praying for the world or praying for the nation and nothing is, is happening in here and nothing is happening here but it's just like this ethereal idea of like God doing something in the nation and people, hearts, people where they're at, how they're living, it doesn't line up. And so that's, if I was honest, like when I've been skeptical of revival, it's because of that. And so let's not talk about revival in those you know, ethereal terms. Let's talk about revival here and let's talk about revival here. Because the, the nation isn't gonna change unless this is changed and unless this is changed. Unless God is moving here and God is moving here in New Life Manitou, then we will see the kind of like exponential change that the Lord is doing. So I wanna invite you as we end every Sunday service with a dependency on God. I think if we were defining revival once again, it's like, like people being revived to the work of God. And that begins with repentance and saying we are dependent upon God. And so we're gonna end this service in your baskets by your chairs are communion elements. And I would like you to, to reach down. Everyone in here is invited, whether you're a member here or not, whether um, you've been coming to New Life Manitou, whether this is your first time you're invited. And I'll invite the band up as well. And when you get these elements, if you would stand with me, we're gonna receive them together.